Lord, you're big and you love us, and that makes us glad. Now let the words that I say and let the thoughts that we all think be pleasing in your sight. For Jesus' sake, amen. On Christmas morning, he uh, opens his present. And as he looks inside, it's, it's more than he ever could have dreamed of. It's, this is crazy. This is, she went way above and beyond. She, she, she did way more than ever he could have imagined that he would get for Christmas. This is far, far, far beyond, way more lavish, way more extravagant than he thought he'd ever get. There's a problem, though, in that he's still holding the gift that he has for her. And as he sees her reaching for it in anticipation, he suddenly doesn't want to give it. He feels his face getting hot. He feels the sweat starting to form on his pores. He's stressed out because in light of the lavish gift that she gave him, this gift all of a sudden looks puny in comparison. He's ashamed that this is what he thought he should give. Have I heightened anybody's anxiety for tomorrow morning? <clears throat> Not the intention. Uh, although some of you may be wanting your husbands to feel a little bit more of that anxiety. But <clears throat> in seriousness, our God, sometimes when we think of him, and we envision that day on which we're going to appear before him and stand before him, and we think about what we've got to offer him on that day, Some of us have felt some similar feeling of that anxiety. Some of us have felt uh, some version of that panic. When we envision it, we can feel the sweat start to break out. Like, this God, he's been attentive to me every moment of my life. This God has canceled my debts. This God has fulfilled the deepest desires of my heart. This God has adopted me into his family even though I was his enemy. He's given me this gift. I've opened the gift. I've fallen on my face at times during my life when I've realized how amazing this gift is that my God has given me. But now as I picture the day in which I'm going to stand before him, it's almost like I can't even like bear to look at his face in light of this puny thing that I'm bringing before him. I'm nervously fidgeting in my hands. I'm in in desperation mode. Like, is there any way out of this? Any way out of giving him this gift? It's so embarrassing. All I All I have to give to God after my decades of life is, here's my decent life. That's all I could muster? Like if he opened this gift of a decent life, he'd be justified if he threw it back in my face. This Advent, we've been reflecting on God's gift to us, the Father who gave his Son the Son who gave us and gave the Father His perfect life, the Spirit who joined us to the Son such that His righteous life could become our own. And now this Christmas Eve morning, we ask, in light of those wonderful gifts given to us, what could we possibly give God in return? Would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 2? It's page 855 if you're using the chairback Bibles. Sometime after the story of the birth of Jesus that we just uh, heard read a few moments ago, Young Jesus had some visitors come from far away to bring him gifts, and the story of those visitors is an opportunity to reflect on what we might bring to our divine king this Christmas. So this is a little time after the story we read, and now we're going to read Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Follow along with me as I read. It'll be up on the screen, too. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east 
arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Christ would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way. And there it was, the star they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We'll only spend a few minutes together in this text this morning, I promise, but we'll briefly ask three questions of this text. In the story, who worships, whom do they worship, and what sort of worship do they give? And we'll see that all three of those have implications for us. So first, who worships in this story? It's not the people we'd expect. We might expect the people in Jerusalem, the residents of Jerusalem, to be the worshipers. Jerusalem is the heart of the Jewish faith, the focal city of the royal line. But look, all the people in Jerusalem are deeply disturbed about the news of this birth. They're not celebrating it. This is a preview of their future rejection of this child-born king. Jerusalem's residents don't worship King Jesus. If the average residents of Jerusalem don't worship King Jesus, we might have expected the religious experts to be the first worshipers of the king. They know the scriptures that foretold the birth of Jesus better than anyone. But look, even though they do know the prophecies well enough to quote them to King Herod, They still don't come to pay their respects. Instead, who does? Non-Jewish people who had to travel from far away. The wise men, our translation called them, pagan astrologers, the magi. Um, Kids holding the wise men. Do you still have those? Can you bring them on up and we want to put them in the scene now? It's their time. Thanks, Addie and Charlie. Love it. These magi that they're bringing up, they seem to have wealth, means, status too. Love it. The whole entourage is here. Thank you, guys. Awesome. Great work. Now the scene is complete. Uh, It's interesting that these are wealthy folks that come with status, because some like to say, well, Christianity is always appealed to the poor and downtrodden because their lives on earth are miserable, and they need to believe in an afterlife in order to get through their misery here, right? Some of us know better because we're strong enough not to need that crutch. That paradigm gets shattered here, too. It's not only the downtrodden who come to worship King Jesus. These magi are apparently rich, well-respected enough to be granted an audience with King Herod. So on many levels, these aren't the folks that we'd expect. What do we take away from the appearance of these unexpected worshipers? Well, that some will bow the knee to King Jesus and others won't. Some who have every reason not to bow the knee will, like these rich magi from far away. Others who have every reason to bow the knee won't like these religious leaders in Jerusalem. And listen, from an earthly perspective, I don't know if you're somebody who has reason to bow your knee to Jesus or not, but 
whether you seemingly do or seemingly don't, the question for all of us this Christmas is, are you and I going to be among those who bow our knees or not? The next generation, they're here watching us this morning. Will these little ones observe us humbling ourselves at the foot of the manger with knees bent in reverence? Or will they see the generation ahead of them white-knuckling it pridefully through life, pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps because we think we've got this ourselves and have no need for a Savior King? Now, we've gotten ahead of ourselves here because I'm sure somebody here has a vital and important question. Namely, why should I bow my knee? What's so great about this Jesus that I should worship him? That's what we're asking next. Whom do they worship? If the Magi weren't the worshipers that we'd expect, it's also true Jesus isn't the king we'd expect. Matthew's first readers would have been struck by the massive reversal going on here. You've got the Magi showing up to Herod, effectively saying, hey, we want to see the king of the Jews. Herod straightens up and says, you found him right here. And they respond, no, 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 the new king of the Jews. King of the Jews, that's Herod's title, right? And we know even from our sources outside the Bible that this Herod was famously insecure. He was brutal. So it's entirely consistent with the history books that his mind immediately goes to murder when he hears this news. He says he wants to go worship him, but we know from the following verses, I need to get rid of this child is what he's really thinking. And part of what makes him so mad is this. Notice what they said. They don't say, where is the one who is born to become king of the Jews? They say, where is he who is born king of the Jews? This child's been born the king. That's an extra little poke at Herod, actually, because he's the illegitimate king of the Jews, not even Jewish from birth, but having claimed that title by seizing power over them. In other words, the one born king of the Jews, that's precisely what Herod knows all too well that he is not. The one being worshipped is just a baby in Bethlehem. Little old Bethlehem. Except not little old Bethlehem anymore. Look at how Matthew actually changes the quote from Micah chapter 5. Here's what Micah said in the Old Testament. Bethlehem Ephrathah, you are small among the clans of Judah. One will come from among you to be a ruler over Israel from me. His origins from antiquity from ancient times. When Matthew quotes this, he changes it a little. And on the surface, it looks like it's exactly the opposite. He says, in you Bethlehem, the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. Because out of you will come this ruler. See the difference? And yet, Matthew's quote is entirely consistent with the heart of what Micah was saying centuries before. Now that the one foretold by Micah has come, Bethlehem is no longer small in the greatest sense. They're they're now by no means least among the rulers of Judah, even though they had been in the past, because the ruler of all has come from their line. This is the one. See how this birth is flipping upside down? The world's assumptions about what's significant and what's insignificant, right? To the world, Herod is the one that makes sense to bow your knee to, right? He whirls with an iron fist. He crushes his enemies. He pulls off massive construction and infrastructure projects. He's a winner. Herod is everything fallen humanity honors and respects. But somehow, God gets hold of the Magi in such a way that they can see, no, no, Herod, Herod's the afterthought. He's the footnote. This seemingly helpless baby is the one that we're supposed to worship. The king of kings who came to rule with humility, who conquers by dying, who lays down his life for his enemies. This is the one. And sure enough, 2,000 years later, what have we seen? Herod, he's been relegated to an asterisk in the history books. While this Bethlehem baby has turned the world upside down. 
You'll forgive me then for asking the uncomfortable question. If Jesus is the one that we ought to worship, why exactly did you and I spend so much of 2023 giving the best of our worship to so many lesser kings? Like when we were kids, we worshiped toys and celebrities and popularity, and then when we grew up, we just moved on to a grown-up version of the same thing, right? We offer our families as sacrifice to get the next promotion. We raise our hands and our voices for our favorite performers. We pledge unconditional loyalty to our political party. We open our wallets before the altar of entertainment. That way of living and worshiping couldn't be any more normal. It makes all the sense in the world to our neighbors, just like it would have made all the sense in the world to the people of Jerusalem if the Magi had given their reverence to Herod. But what if Scripture's right? That the Magi were the ones who saw things right side up as they ought to be seen. What if King Jesus is really more worthy of our worship than all those other things we give our worship to? You say, okay, but I don't even know what that would look like for me to bow my knee to King Jesus. Well, that's how we'll close is what sort of worship do they give? The Magi know better than to approach Jesus as though they're equals. They acknowledge his superiority. They submit by bowing the knee to him, which some of us know is really hard to do. And they give gifts fit for the king that they believe him to be. It's probably overreading this to look for some kind of intricate symbolism in the gold and frankincense and myrrh. It may not be much more than that they just brought these gifts because they were expensive gifts fit for a king. Still, though, if, if, if we were trying to follow in the Magi's footsteps to be the sort of people uh, who bring gifts to our Lord in the year 2023 and 2024 now, what can we bring that's fit for the king of the universe? Like, think back on these past weeks if you've been with us. What can we bring that's fit for the father who sent us his son? What can we bring that's fit for the son who gave us his perfect life? What can we give that's fit for the spirit who joined us to that son? And the answer is our big idea for today. It's just this. Though on our own we could never bring a gift fit for King Jesus, we can give back to him what he first gave us. Though on our own we could never find any gift that would be fit for King Jesus, we can give back to him what he first gave us. Remember earlier we were imagining this individual nervously trembling on Christmas morning, right? Because he knew his gift was woefully insufficient. Rico Tice uses a similar analogy like, that's us before God. But here's the good news. As we are ashamedly about to give God our decent life, knowing that it's not at all fit for a king who has given us so incredibly much, who comes up alongside us but Jesus? Jesus comes up. And what he says is this, hey, he says, first, Let's add my name to yours on this tag so that it's to God from us together. But then even better, he says, hey, while we're at it, let's swap out what's inside the package. What if we replace your decent life, which was in there, with my perfect life, Jesus says to us. And so by the time we actually come and stand before God, we end up being like the gift giver on Christmas Day who can't wait for their gift to be opened by the recipient. Because we know for a fact that it's going to be 100% pleasing to the one who's receiving it. Thanks to the Father and his gift of the Son. Thanks to the Son's gift of a perfect life. Thanks to the Spirit's gift of joining our life to Christ such that his offering can become ours. We can stand before God this Christmas with no need to be ashamed of the gift we're offering him. 
because it's what he first gave us. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you knowing that we don't have anything to give you. The best of our offering is this decent life, and it's just not enough. It pales in comparison with the great gift that you've given us. It's not fitting. It's not acceptable to bring to you. But thank you that in your son Jesus, because he lived this perfect life and because the Spirit has united us to him, we can offer that gift back to you, that righteous life, that perfect life, that spotless record. And we can have hope, certain hope, that we'll stand before you one day with nothing to be ashamed of because you'll be pleased with that gift that we have to bring. And you'll welcome us into your heavenly kingdom forever and ever. God, for those of us who have tasted that gift, help us to experience it anew this Christmas. And for those who haven't yet experienced that, the taking of that gift from Christ and offering it to the Father, help somebody to experience it for the first time, even today. And help this to be the year where they experience the life that's meant to be lived, the abundant life that's only found in you. In Jesus' name, amen.